0: Welcome, I'm Lori Lee Binstock and this is a Trauma Survivor Thrivers podcast. Thank you for joining us for Trauma Survivor Thrivers podcast now on Mental Health News Radio Network. This podcast is also available wherever you get your podcasts, but I do suggest checking out Mental Health News Radio Network to find all your podcasts related to mental health. So let's go ahead and get started. Today's guest is Susan Justice, author of Children Who Dance in the Rain, which relays the importance of equality and mutual respect among all children, encouraging them to see the world and their peers through a lens of compassion and acceptance. Susan is a lawyer and a legal children's advocate who co-founded South Asians Against Childhood Abuse. Susan, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me. Well, I want you to, I want to know what pushed you to write this book. I think it's amazing. I I actually got it. My mother-in-law actually saw you, um, your piece in my magazine, Authentic Insider. And she was like, oh, this, this seems like a really great book for the kids.
1: Oh, thank you so much. Well, I hope she liked it.
0: Yeah, absolutely how this ended up coming about is i read actually hundreds
1: of uh, children's books. I was trying to find a book that could help illustrate to my children what exactly happens around the world and how lucky they are. I mean they take their food for granted, they throw off their plate, they don't eat it whenever they want and they have so many luxuries in life that are absolutely taken for granted and I couldn't find a book that truly helped uh, illustrate The widespread hunger around the world, the fact that people don't even have uh, clean water to drink, they don't have food and clothing, and so many children around the world don't even have parents. And uh, nothing that could show children or explain to them the privilege of living in these Western countries. There are children that are homeless, of course, in these Western countries, and there are children that have issues in these countries as well. But not even as close to the issues in these third world countries where there there is nothing that they can turn to there is no one that uh, they can turn to there are no resources that they can obtain unlike here in the western countries we at least have systems in place albeit yes there are issues that we have but Nothing even remotely is close to what these children have to go through in third world countries where they have absolutely no resources. And after reading so many books and being unable to find the answer to this, um, this, this problem that I had, because I, I couldn't help explain to them. I mean, I could tell them stories, but it wasn't enough. I wanted them to have a beautiful picture of the life that they have here and have compassion and love for these children that they've never met and they may never meet. And I realized, okay, I have to do it myself because uh, I have to get this message out there because if I'm
0: looking for it, perhaps there's other people looking for it as well. Wow. And so this is a children's book and it is so beautifully done. Um, And you yourself, you've experienced bullying um, which is what I've read, and 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 that's kind of why you co-founded South Asians Against Childhood Abuse. Is that correct?
1: Yes, that certainly plays a component to it. Uh, South Asians Against Childhood Abuse is uh, primarily about um the acknowledgement and the prevention of sexual abuse for children, because in the South Asian community there is a significant amount of victims. Uh, Statistics show that actually it's, uh, according to the World Health Organization, the statistics are actually higher than uh, all the other countries. Generally, children are abused um, in these ratios. One in three girls prior to the time of turning 18 and then one in four boys. But in South Asian communities, it's even higher because these patrons they sort of perpetuate by the secrecy and about uh, because nobody wants to tell anyone generally in the south asian community if one is sexually abused as a child it is usually a member of their family or a close friend of the family it's someone that is known to the family and when these children finally get the courage to speak to someone such as a mother or a father and tell them that they've been abused they are shut down and they are told not to tell anyone and that this is embarrassing and it's inappropriate for them to even say something like that. And that's it. That that secrecy continues and it goes on until they're adults. A lot of these people have a lot of issues when they grow up because of the trauma that they faced the child and because no one was there for them because they could even, couldn't even speak about it. This trauma sometimes turns into generational trauma, gets passed on to their children as well. And, the fact that these individuals that abuse them are still in their lives—they have to see them at weddings, they have to see them in family gatherings—it is horrifying to see that even their children are now exposed to these individuals that should never be near them. That should that should be incarcerated if anything, but certainly shouldn't be in their lives. But this perpetuates and it keeps going on because all of us are keeping the secret and indian uh, south asian families are feeling ashamed of the fact that their children have been abused or this sort of situation has happened in their family and so to break this cycle this is really what i wanted to do this is certainly one of I'd say the purposes of my life is to at least create awareness. And if I can even help prevent one child from getting abused, I feel like I have at least done something. And that is really what we want to do.
0: Wow, I feel I feel like you just told my story. Um I, I am Filipino, so I um I know so well this whole idea of we the secrecy keeping it quiet. You know, I was actually sexually abused by my father, my biological father. And so this it just and and I didn't talk about I didn't talk about it until I was in my mid-30s. And that's that's exactly when I got the help was, you know, uh like during COVID was when everything kind of came to a head. It was actually right before COVID because I didn't, you know, I've had behavioral issues, you know, in As a teenager and into my young adult life and it wasn't until you know like I said not like five years ago I was like oh you know maybe I have been dealing with post-traumatic stress because of you know this abuse that I never spoke about until you know actually that was only three years ago um so it's it was it was really difficult just listening to what you're saying I'm like you know To me, as a child, I thought I was the only person in the world going through what I was going through because I couldn't talk about it. Nobody was talking about that kind of stuff. And so I just admire that the work that you're doing and just recognizing that this is such a prevalent issue. And I'm just I'm in awe of the work that you're that you're doing and your purpose behind it. Wow. I, I, I'm i so
1: sorry you had to go through that and you had to hold it in you for so many years.
0: Yeah. Well, I'm, you know, I, I found my purpose, right? I talk about it. This is, this is that's, it, the podcast is pretty much birthed from that. And so mm-hmm. it's, I, I, I'm, I'm really grateful that there are people like you who are doing this work. And so thank you for that. Um, I do want to talk about, I want to go back to, you know, talking about privilege um, and the book. And, you know, there are a lot of people who think, you know, talking about privilege is difficult and it's such a difficult topic to the point where they're like, we should avoid this conversation at all. You know, how do you, how do we push through that uncomfortable feeling and how, what do we say to those critics? Um, Well,
1: I think a stepping point would be understanding that, okay, there's white privilege and then there's just privilege. And I want us to now start speaking about the issue of privilege in itself as well, because I am not white, but I am privileged. And understanding my privilege allows me to acknowledge that okay I have something here and I can utilize it for good I think the issue also is that there's some of us who are there who are sort of in between I'm not black I'm not white but I do have privilege and I may not be facing racism on a day-to-day basis but I may have something else that I face and I can also be the very lucky individual who doesn't face any racism. And if that's the case, I'm just going about my everyday life, living it normally and sort of ignoring the fact that, hey, wait, I still live in a Western country. I still have plenty of resources. I have a good job. I have a supportive family. I have a roof over my head. I have the ability to live a good life. Do I ignore the fact that there's other things happening in the world? Or can I acknowledge that yes okay I have this privilege and I should be doing something about it I should be doing something about inequality here because there are so many unprivileged individuals in the world and I think because the majority of the world's ethnicity is actually some of those in between ethnicities like us from Asian countries Mm -hmm. and from uh, Iran you know all the countries that aren't European we sort of have this Um, if we're living in a western country we we sort of have this um, gift of having certain privileges but acknowledging that hey back home this isn't the case it's very different back there and if we can acknowledge that despite the color of our skin we can still be privileged that is a huge step because it's not that privilege is always a bad thing if it can be acknowledged if it can be utilized for good, then that privilege is turning into a positive thing in your life because you are utilizing that privilege to get rid of inequality, to help other people in this world, to get rid of the fact that there's this hierarchy in the world. If we want to, if if we don't want to sustain this inequality, we have to first acknowledge that it's there. Who has it? I certainly do and what we can do about it and it's the only way for us to ensure that in the future in the future generations there will be a change something can happen because as the saying goes if we don't change
0: nothing will change right yeah i do believe that any type of positive change has to first start with acknowledgement i truly believe that that the that, that that is the root of any type of change um, So how do you talk to children about privilege and, and for, for, I'm, I'm, you know, there's different ages, you know, there are different ways to talk to children, different ages, but how do we talk to them where they really like understand it?
1: I found that, um, it's. It is very difficult for a child to um just understand. Hey, okay, there's inequalities in the world. Um, there's a social, there's social inequalities that we need to address. There, it, I mean, we can tell them stories. We can try to explain certain things to them, but sometimes having a visual really helps, and that's why I uh, I like reading this book to my children, because they can understand, okay, hey, you know what, my house looks really nice. And this girl's house doesn't look very good. And she doesn't really have anything yet. She's willing to share. There's compassion there. There's still love there. And and why? Why wouldn't I be sharing things when I have so much? And I think it's just starting off with just planting that seed in their mind of, okay, you know what, there is a lot that I have even though I feel like every day I have nothing, I'm bored and I always want more. Uh, there's so much that I have and there's so much that the children in the world would be dying to have that I possess right now. And I think just choosing everyday things, that, anything that you can go by and just explaining to them when you see a homeless person, when you see them wanting things from a restaurant, um, new toys, explaining to them that, hey, even the fact that we have the means to be able to buy this, we are very lucky. This is not just uh, something that you can take for granted. There's so many people in the world that cannot have this. And ensuring, uh, you mentioned bullying. Yes, I absolutely went through bullying. And acknowledging that you should never... uh, look down upon someone for not having these items because in school that's a huge issue. Uh, when when there's sort of mixed classes in the same school, some of those higher middle class, Children will have so many things that the lower middle class children will not have. And it creates this demarcation already in the world, starting at a very young age that, Hey, these individuals do not have the means to have the things that you have. And there's already an inequality there. And a lot of it, it just sort of creates and bubbles into bullying and the individuals who are bullied we already start to acknowledge hey you know we're actually lower than these guys they're higher than us because they have more things and they have the ability to make fun of us and look down on us because i must be lower than them and it's a story you start telling yourself and as you grow up you start feeling lower and i think breaking that paradigm is something that we need to start off at a young age to make sure that hey we need to catch bullying at a young age we need to stop it we need to stop these stories from being ingrained in even children's minds. And so I think starting off at a young age, creating that compassion in children will prevent bullying and will subsequently help victims as well from becoming more victims of bullying and telling these stories to ourselves. There's just... There's so much I feel like that needs to be done at a young age, and it's very difficult to just explain these things to children. But I think to answer your question, visuals really help. And just reinforcing that idea, that compassion, that acknowledgement on an everyday basis to make sure it truly ingrains in a child. And it's not just a one time story that we tell them is very important.
0: Well, you know, you did contribute to June's issue of Authentic Insider and there was a visual visual that you that you wrote into words about a cookie. And could you actually describe that? Because I feel like a lot of people saw that when I posted it, Um, they're like, oh, this is a great analogy of the cookie. Do you do you remember that? I know that that was months ago. Yes. 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 Could you explain absolutely.
1: that? Yes, absolutely.
0: Um. So
1: basically, if you and I both um, were in a situation where we both wanted or we both were supposed to get cookies, but you received less and I received more, generally, I'd walk away as a normal person just thinking, okay, that's great. Okay, I got more cookies. Oh, that sucks. She didn't get <laughs> Or she got less. But it's stopping there and questioning okay wait wait wait, what happened here and why did this happen she deserved the equal amount of cookies that i received and she didn't receive that why didn't that happen questioning the system ensuring that the individuals who are giving out these cookies they need to acknowledge hey this wasn't right why didn't she receive the cookies you're already at a disadvantage by not having enough cookies I need to utilize the cookies that I have to make noise, to say, hey, if you guys want more cookies too, we need to do something about this. We need to come together and we need to change the system. I shouldn't be walking away just happy with the cookies I received. I need to understand that you are just like me. You are my mirror and we both deserve the equal amount of cookies. And in any circumstance, in another dimension, I could be in your shoes and we need to stand up for each other. We need to question why this is happening and not walk away with just being satisfied because we received more. It's it's not even about me sharing the cookies with you. It's about questioning the system that allowed this discrimination to happen in the first place, this inequality to perpetuate. And the next time they're giving out cookies, it's gonna happen to someone else. It's about stopping this from continuing and we can only do that when we question the system when we create awareness about it and acknowledge that this is happening ignoring this and simply providing you the difference of the cookies and sharing with you isn't enough we need to get to the system we need to stop this from happening in the first place
0: oh, that's yes that is that is how you 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 really put it in there in their brains the their the whole the whole awareness of it um it's interesting with my children and I feel, I feel like my child is always saying that's not fair that's not fair especially when it's between my son and my daughter. It's very much like that's not fair she got more. Um and I guess it's the wrong thing to be like well life's not fair. <laughs> but I <laughs> but what what should I how should I address that? Or is I... that just how you do it? <laughs> I don't even know. <laughs> I think certainly it
1: makes sense when it comes to children, it's a different sort of issue. But we want to plant the seed in them from the beginning that, okay, that yeah, you're right. This isn't supposed to happen. Something that's unfair isn't supposed to happen. And that's good. You're speaking up for it. But then they need an explanation as to why this is happening. Well, is she older? Is she bigger? Does she have a different sort of hunger? Does she have a different sort of need Um, are when he has too many of these cookies? perhaps he gets very, very excited and it's difficult for him to fall asleep. We need to explain to them why this is happening. And if age is an issue, we should explain to them, well, the the older one, she gets more because she has a different size now. She's growing more. But I I would like them to acknowledge that from the beginning that okay, there is fairness and it should exist. It should exist in the classroom, it should exist at home. And when it is not happening, we need to question it. So I think that's great that he's questioning it. He's already there. And we just need to help him understand what is okay and what's not okay. Because even when it comes to things like like sexual abuse, we we keep it all inside us. Mm Not to compare the situation, but just the fact that a child is voicing a concern is so important because when we were children, we weren't able to speak about this sort of trauma, right? If someone told us to keep it quiet, we kept it inside and we were ashamed. And the most traumatizing thing is so many of us who have been abused when it happens and there's our body has certain sensations It starts to feel good. We feel like it's our fault because why did it feel good? It must've been my fault. I let it happen. Mm -hmm. And there was something there and that's not the case. It's never your fault. You're a child and you cannot control the sensations that your body has. But that is a story that so many of us tell ourselves and we're not questioning what's happening. Okay. Why am I keeping this a secret? Why do I need to do that? how do I stop this from happening? This is unfairness. This shouldn't be happening to me. I shouldn't, I shouldn't carry the burden, burden of being a victim at such a young age. And from an an individual that I was supposed to trust, who was supposed to care for me, who was supposed to love me, this individual broke that trust. And you need to find someone that you can trust and speak up to. But Sometimes it doesn't work out that way. And I think starting at a young age and getting children to speak up about what's happening, despite it being traumatizing and horrific, it's a very, very vulnerable place to be because you don't know how people are going to react. But we need to start helping children, training them to speak up for these things, because it's the only way that when something bad happens that they will actually speak up
0: because the majority of victims never say a word. Yeah. And I mean, like you said, growing up when we were kids, it was very much like stop your complaining, stop yeah. your belly aching. Yeah. You know, you know, for my mom, it was very much I mean, she didn't know until um I was an adult about the abuse, but she would if something was bothering me, I never said what it was was, was actually bothering me. But she you know, I'd be upset or I'd be acting out and she would just say, just don't think about it and it will go away. That was her, um, that was her mantra. Just don't think about it and it'll go away. And obviously it doesn't. And then it comes out in other ways and it gets worse and it get, gets worse. So yes, I, again, I agree with you with, all you know, with speaking up and, you know, I'm sitting here thinking like, so next time my son says life's not fair, then to actually ask him, well, what is it? And I, and I like that whole idea of giving, what what's really going on in his head and being able to tell answer those questions and give him an explanation. Um because I feel like a lot of information is not bad.
1: Exactly. Yes, more awareness, more information. I mean, I can't imagine that would hurt us. Right. I feel like the more knowledge we have, the more power we have, the more we'd be able to fight for things. And When your son does speak up, uh, hopefully we'll react in a different way that our parents did when we used to speak up and they just wanted to shut us down. Mm -hmm. It's unfortunate, but we learned not to speak up. And we want to change that pattern now. We want our children to speak up. And I think it would be beautiful if he believed life was fair. And when it's not, we need to change something. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I actually think he thinks that's that's right. I think he really thinks he can make change. He sure tries. And it's and it's it's lovely. And I have to admit, as a parent, sometimes it is hard for me to um, get in between him and my daughter arguing. And and, but that is a great it's just acknowledgement. It's just acknowledgement. And I think that That is what's helpful. You know, we do walk around. We live in Washington, D.C. We walk around all the time. There are people who live um, on the streets who are who um, we call them the unhoused. Um, And, you know, they and at their school, it's their school is really great about, you know, talking about these things, talking about these difficult topics. And, you know, my son is very loving when, you know, when he sees A person who is on the street, he's like, Where would we have? Do we have any of my snacks? Um, and my daughter as well. I mean, she loves it. And it's it was so interesting because my my son, he loves hockey, he's like obsessed with hockey. And there's this one man who um pushes a a shopping cart around and he has all of his things there. And he also has like four hockey sticks. And my, my son is always like, he's so lucky. He has so many hockey sticks. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like it, it's so sweet to see that. And, you know, he sometimes talks to him and it's, 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 it's really sweet. Um, but I also notice that there are other people who live in different parts, you know, friends of mine who are live in different different parts of the country, who's children are terrified of even seeing people who are who are living on the street not that they're scared of them but they just it hurts them so much to see it that they can't they don't they just don't want to see it and i think that's that's really hard and and what can we do for for those people who just get so emotional seeing it? how can we talk to them about you know how that it's okay that this is this is what's happening in the world That's a a really good question.
1: I think in those situations when we see individuals who are very sensitive and feel very vulnerable when they see these individuals, I think the best thing we can do is perhaps help them understand that they can do something about this, that as much as it hurts them, it probably hurts the individual being unhoused and being in in the cold in the heat being left outside being exposed it hurts them a lot too and instead of just being emotional about it what could help us perhaps not feel better but at least feel less hurt about seeing them in such an unfortunate position could be that we can make a plan that we're going to do something We're going to do something, if not now, when you're older, when you're able to, but we're going to do something one day and we're going to change this system to the best of our ability. Whatever we can do, as many lives that we can touch, we're going to do something. So let's see what these individuals are going through because that might help us understand what they'll need in the future when we're able to help
0: them. That's beautiful. That's beautiful. Thank you so much. Is there anything else that you would like to add?
1: Um, the only thing I think I'd like to add is talk to your children about uh, about the unfortunate realities that exist around the world, about the fact that we are so lucky to be where we are, to have everything that we have, and help inspire them to make a difference. If we can create a generational wave of Different individuals who are actually wanting to create change, who are acknowledging what is happening, who aren't just saying it, aren't just seeing it, but are actually doing something about it. This world will create so much positivity. We can create a ripple effect. Mm. And it is contagious. If you see your neighbor doing something great, it's going to inspire you one day to also perhaps have some compassion for that project and perhaps do something about it. But we can create change, particularly when it comes to children, because they are so susceptible to everything. If we can invoke in them at a young age that there is so much that they can do that we can actually help people. It's not just about growing up and having a great job, but it's about what we actually do while we're on this earth to help, to help our brothers and sisters around the world. For them to flourish as well. We are all in this together and helping children understand that, yes, we are in this together. What else can we do to help each other through this thing we call life?
0: That would be my message. Thank you so much. That is a beautiful message. And, you know, I hope everyone is they're able to pass along that kindness and that positivity because you're right, it is contagious. And then the more people we can affect, how much better will this world be? (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. Well, Susan, I appreciate you coming on today. Thank you so much for taking the time and joining me today.
1: Thank you so much. It's been such a pleasure and
0: you are such an inspiration. As are you. I am very inspired from the work that you're doing. So thank you.
1: Thank you so much.
0: That was Susan Justice, author of Children Who Dance in the Rain and co-founder of South Asians against childhood abuse. Check out the show notes for links to her resources, including where you can purchase her book. Susan has also contributed to June's issue of Authentic Insider magazine, which you will also find in the show notes. October's issue of Authentic Insider is out. Check out Authentic Insider at traumasurvivorthriver.com. That's traumasurvivorthriver.com, as well as all the past episodes of a Trauma Survivor Thrivers podcast. If you haven't already, please subscribe to my email list to get Authentic Insider Magazine in your inbox monthly. We will be back next week with episode 103 when I speak with Jessa Della Morena, author of The Great Reconnection, when we discuss how she was able to reconnect with her inner hero after her cancer diagnosis. You've been listening to a Trauma Survivor Thrivers podcast. I'm Lori Lee Benstock. Thanks for being a part of the conversation. Take care.